0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: Remember when everybody tried to say that the NBA playing games were lame? No less an authority himself than the GM was bagging on the playing game back in the day. Everybody was saying it, remember? Yeah, we'll try running that argument back today because last night was awesome. Last night had everything. Last night had a fan gluing herself to the floor, and a guy hitting another dude in the junk, and a player jumping up on the scorer's table in celebration, and that same guy was in tears, and that was over two playing games, and you're going to tell me that the playing games are dumb or moronic or stupid or lame or boring. I mean, come on, get the hell out of here with that. And, of course, the only place I can start is with this moment from the Clippers, T-Wolves game last night.
2: Somebody has fallen, an arena worker has fallen at the other end, and you can see right now they are assisting her, and out she goes. You know, I say it's an arena worker, it may have been somebody else, because they quickly got her up and, and got her off in a
3: hurry. Did she, if she fell, is there blood down there? We've been told
2: there was a protest and I think she was writing something on the floor. Allie, what do you
0: see down there? I know that wasn't I, you doing the graffiti, but <laughs> what,
2: what, what was going on?
1: It's worse than graffiti.
3: I was just told by security that she apparently had glue and she glued herself to the floor and she <laughs> refused to lift her wrist up And I don't mean to laugh, but this really happened. She glued her wrist to the floor, and they were trying to pull her off, and she was resisting trying to keep her wrist glued down to the floor.
2: It was a protest of some sort, I'm assuming.
3: I think that's a fair assumption.
1: So, right, it was not an arena worker. It was not a streaker. It was some loser looking to glue herself to the floor. You heard me. Some loser looking to glue herself to the floor. And it took all three seconds for her to be glossed, Hello, glue girl, on Twitter, and for the memes to start. And the thing is, like, 12 hours later, I still don't know exactly where to start. Clippers head coach Ty Lu, was asked about it after the game, and he pretty much had the same exact reaction that we all did. She glued herself to the floor? No.
3: I, I, I saw her, I thought she fell out. I didn't know what happened to her. What do you mean, glue yourself? Protest.
2: Oh,
1: uh, yes. no. <laughs> exactly Ty hey I'll be really quickly w- what do you mean glued herself she glued herself to the floor
2: no I, I, I saw her I thought she fell out I didn't know what happened to her what you mean glued herself oh, nah.
1: what you mean glued herself He's, uh, Ty's like nah nah I'll be one more time nah nah what,
3: what you do mean you glued herself oh, yes. nah.
1: in other words The hell is that anyway? I mean, credit for reinventing the game, I guess. But how did you see that going? (laughs) You were just going to roll out there with some paste, slap it on your wrist, and then onto the floor, and they weren't going to be able to remove you from the court. Oh, and you thought that Elmer's was going to do the job. Elmer's. Rubber cement. Didn't want any of that. Didn't even bring super glue. Man, you want to do this right, you lather yourself up with the flex seal, and then you go all starfish on the floor. But that's not what she did. I'm not sure what's more bizarre, the idea or the actual execution, because there's no way that was spur of the moment, right? That was planned. And it was one of the all-time worst plans ever. You have to pack glue for an NBA game in order to have glue in an NBA game. Nobody's walking around with glue on them. Nobody's packing glue. Nobody just shows up to an arena and happens to have glue on them. And she had terrible glue at that. Look, I'm not going to say that she turned that game around for the T-Wolves, but I will point out, they were down seven when she Elmered it all up, and they won by five. So you go ahead and do the math yourself. The T-Wolves didn't just come back to win that game. They came back to win that game without Carl Anthony Towns. Cat had a terrible game. I mean, a brutal game. Six fouls, five rebounds, four turnovers, and three made shots. I mean, clearly, he did not have that energy. Yeah, I like this energy. No one watching him liked his energy. Yeah. Like, if you had told Ty Lu before that game, the Cat was going to have twice as many fouls as Buckets, he would have been drawing up a game plan for the next round. Yet somehow, some way, the T-Wolves found a way to win. Somehow, some way. wait, did I say somehow? Oh, no, I know how. I know how. That how was Patrick Beverly. Now, I know what you're thinking. How can you be awarding a game ball to a guy who had seven points when a 20-year-old had 30? Well, because that dude that had seven is Patrick Beverly. That's how. Yeah, I know, Anthony Edwards was a stud. Last night was his coming out party. Just as I know that D'Angelo Russell came up huge. But last night was all about Pat Bev being Pat Bev, the ultimate glue guy, picking up where glue girl left off. You like that, Alvy? You like that, eh? Eh. Anyway, P-Bev, you do like that, right? P-Bev was getting into dude's chests. He was getting up in their heads. And then when he had a steal late in the game to ice it, he then celebrated in front of the Clippers bench and Steve Ballmer. It was pretty awesome. Cool. Pretty damn cool. He it was pretty damn cool. He was asked what he told the Clippers in that moment. And the answer, check this, the answer is vintage Pat Bev. What did you say to your old teammates at the end there when you were standing in front of the bench?
3: Take their ass home. Long flight to L.A., take your ass home. Very you know, I, it, it, it's, it's deeper that for me, you understand? I gave my blood and sweat and tears to that organization. Uh, I mean, you guys know the story, especially you. Um, blood, sweat and tears to just be ridden off like that. You know, uh, he's injury prone, he's old, this, this, that, that. To be able to come here, play them in a
1: play in, beat their ass.
3: No other feeling, man, no other feeling. Yes, sir.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, I haven't hyped this guy for a, a while on the program, but this is why I always hyped this guy. What did you have to say to your former teammates? Take they ass home. What did you say to your old teammates at the end there when you were standing in front of the bench?
3: Take they ass home. <laughs> long flight to L.A., take <laughs> your
1: ass home. God, I love that so much. Yes, sir. Take they ass home. It's a long-ass flight to L.A. Take your ass home. You think that dude was running on some premium fuel last night? He hates the Clippers. He was pissed off when they wrote him off. And then he got to Minnesota. He guaranteed they'd make the playoffs. No wonder this dude was feeling it and crying last night. I wanted this so bad. I wanted this one so bad. Uh,
3: This is just the icing on the cake, the cherry on top. To play in, to be able to beat them. Um, I mean, another goal scratched off. I told you he was going to the playoffs. Everybody, most of y'all, y'all looked at me like I was crazy when I first said that. I
1: fing told y'all. I effing told, ya. And normally I told you. Normally nobody likes I told you guy. I love I effing told you guy. I fing told you. I love that so much. I love the guy was feeling it after that win. I love the guy I was so hyped that he was in tears. I love that this dude jumped up on the scorer's table and then he jumped up on Instagram Live and dropped this. Yeah.
3: what I say when the beginning of the year? what I say? Hey, we're going to playoffs. Hey, check, that now, yeah. check that goal off now, folks. Yeah. Check that goal off Bad boys. I told you he's going to playoffs. Did nobody believe me. Yeah. Weak-ass Clippers. Weak-ass Clippers.
1: Weak-ass Clippers. Get the F out of here. Just like I love him yelling, Coach of the Bleeping Year, twice during head coach Chris Finch's press conference. It's awesome. All of it's awesome. He wanted it that badly. The whole team wanted it that badly. He hates the Clippers that much. I'm not sure anybody hates anything as much as Pat Beverly hates the Clippers. So if this guy wants to get a little bit dusty with it, I'm cool with that. Hell. I wish I loved anything as much as Patrick Beverly hates the Clippers. And I've got no problem with him getting dusty with that. Just like I've got no problem with him jumping up on the scores table to talk even more crack crap. Like I've got no problem with him staying on the court to party with the fans. And for all of you who are killing this guy for acting like he just won an NBA championship instead of a playing game. Let me tell you something. It was the NBA championship to that guy because he hates them that much. I love that energy. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about Patrick Beverly. This is what makes Patrick Beverly Patrick Beverly. This is what got this guy to that league. This is what makes this guy the legend. He's just a different cat running on different fuel. And if you disrespect him, this is what you're going to get. I love that. Why are so many of you hating on that? This is what you want from sports. This is what you want from athletes and teams. I want that bleep to be that personal. I want them to win, want it that badly. And it's for the team. You know, everybody's saying, hey, act like you've been there before. It's a playing game. Act like you've been there before. They haven't. That's the whole point. They have not been there before. It's their second trip to the playoffs in 17 years. Hell yes, they were feeling it. Again, I like that energy. Energy. So if you're coming here to kill Patrick Beverly for crying over a playing game, you got the wrong show and you got the wrong host. Because seeing this guy cry tears of hate about a team that kicked him to the curb, damn near has me crying tears of joy. Not only do I not have a problem with this guy, just when I thought that I couldn't respect or admire this guy any more than I already did, I just went next level with it because he cried. I f***ing told y'all. And said, I effing told you, take they ass out of here. Take they ass home. So good. I love it. I love how much he hates them. I love how good that felt for him. Weak-ass Clippers. Yeah.
3: Weak-ass Clippers. Yeah.
1: Come on now, you got a problem with that? You got a problem with that guy? You got a problem with that? Then you don't like sports. And don't come in here and tell me, hey man, hey Rome, what about classing it up? It's personal. Really personal. They fired him. This whole thing about business is business. Bullcrap. It's personal. And that's what got that guy where he is. Speaking of personal, hey glue girl. You had to know that Elmer's was not gonna cut it, right? The only worse option would have been a glue stick. I'm surprised she didn't go with that, like some like deodorant, you know, and just kind of roll that thing over her wrist. A what glue stick. Just- or maybe, maybe she's out there and all up in here with crazy glue. But then you gotta get that that precise little puncture with a pin at the top. And then time is your worst enemy in that case, right? What do you mean glue is rotating? Because the degree of difficulty is so great. You can't do that. And and like, I don't know, glitter glue? Probably too much of a mess, right? Hey, double-sided scotch tape didn't want any of that? Gorilla glue? I'd say you roll up with a hot glue gun. But that thing does need to be plugged in. And you might not have the AC outlet that you need on the floor. And then you got to load that thing up. That part of it that looks like a candle. The worst part of Glue Girl is that it takes away from that crazy witchcraft that the Red Panda has. You know, you know that guy on the unicycle that kicks a bunch of balls and cups onto her head? Any loser can try to glue their wrist to the floor.
3: What do you mean, glue your is- protest? Oh, no. No.
1: <laughs> Todd's like, incredulous. He's like, what you mean, glute? Hey, clones, what do we want when we're craving protein and we need more energy? I'll tell you what we don't want bars, sugary snacks, energy drinks. Nah, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. No, Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and tasty. It's never tough. So why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. In other words, they take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Good friend of the program. He is Howard Beck. Howard, good to have you back. What's up? How are you? Doing well, Romy. How are you? Dude, good, good. Hey, really quickly, when I say you're the pride of UC Davis, you know, I've got one son in college. I have another son who's a junior in high school. Dude, do you have any idea how impossible it is to get into our beloved UC system now?
4: <laughs> you're a UCSB guy, right? Yes, I am. Um, and my my wife also a proud gaucho. Um, oh, I did not know uh, that.
1: I, I, yeah. I don't know how I didn't know that, but I did not know that.
4: She's awesome, My, my I right? fil- My failure to have brought it up before. But, yes, uh, proud UC grads, and I don't know how anybody gets in anymore or how they afford it because I don't think it's quite the same – Uh, dollar figure. There's a few more uh, zeros and other stuff after the decimal than when you and I were going.
1: Howard, I remember, first of all, I, I always have been very, I've always had great admiration for you. I've always liked you. You've always been one of my favorite guys. The fact that you are a two UC family is incredible. Dude, I remember when you mentioned that the dollar amount has gone up. I remember when I went to UC Santa Barbara, the bark statement, our tuition, dude, $500 a quarter. A <laughs> yes. UC education for 500 bucks a quarter. How great was that? It, it
4: was fantastic. I somehow paid for most of my UC education on the strength of my California Aggie, which was the student newspaper paychecks. That's Incredible. how I paid for most of my registration fees and books and everything was off the student newspaper uh, just cranking out stories. Like, the, the impossible to do now, not to mention the fact that, of course, uh, my beloved California Aggie, I believe, is now I think a weekly print-wise, I think they're still of course daily digitally, but, uh, Yeah, a few things have changed.
1: Yeah, and by the way, the finest education ever, a UC education. Howard Beck is joining us. All right, so let's just jump right into this. Let me ask you about the Nets first, Howard. Kyrie Irving was pretty effective last night. In fact, more than pretty effective. So was Kevin Durant in that win over Cleveland. So a lot of people are going to see that and think the Nets are contenders, if not the favorites in the East. Would you buy into that, or would you be concerned about the fact that this team has got a range of being really, really good, but at times really, really bad?
4: Yeah, I mean, listen, as you know, I'm in Brooklyn. This team is in my backyard. I've seen them a lot, and I've followed their whole drama throughout the season, and and they've been one of the more drama-filled teams. Not quite at Laker level, but, you know, still a lot of drama. I've been a pronounced Nets skeptic, which is not the same thing as saying I'm either a Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving skeptic. Obviously, their talent speaks for itself, and Kevin Durant is incredible, possibly – maybe quite likely the best basketball player on earth right now and a blast to watch and it's just great to see him doing it at this level again um after all he's been through but they don't play a lot of defense as a team the drop-off after those two is fairly substantial and you know somewhere in the wings is ben simmons i'm sure we'll get to him but you know, Ben Simmons, is. You know, they, they wanted a, bit, a big three here. And Harden was supposed to be the third part of that big three. Didn't work out so well. He's gone. Simmons is in. But Simmons hasn't played a minute with them. And they might try to throw him into a playoff series at some point uh, pretty soon, perhaps. I I just think that, you know, look, just look at last night's game on its own. Kyrie was incredible. Didn't miss, what, his first 12, 13 shots in a row, whatever it was. Durant was fantastic. Durant's, you know, flinging assists, too, and he's scoring. And yet they're still fighting off a Cleveland Cavaliers team that, you know, solid season, fine, they're good. They've got one good offensive player in Darius Garland, but not a lot else to speak for. And the Nets had to really hold them off. And this happens a lot with this team. The next team they're going to face, the Boston Celtics, in a best-of-seven series, and with the Celtics having home court advantage, obviously far more loaded, far more talented, far more seasons, too. That's a team that's been in a lot of playoff battles, whereas the Cavaliers playing this play-in last night don't really have a lot to fall back on. This is their first breakthrough year since LeBron left, so I don't have a lot of confidence in the Nets to be able to take out a high-quality team, a team that was you know dominant for the last three months in the Celtics, and I know Robert Williams is gone and that's going to have an impact on their defense, but they got Marcus Smart, who might be Defensive Player of the Year. They've got Jalen Brown. They've got offensive weapons they're going to make life a lot harder on the nets than what we saw say last night
1: right howard beck is joining us howard you said we'll probably get to ben simmons so before we leave that topic why don't we go there first you've got as part of what you've referred to as the volatility index you've described the (laughs) return of slash arrival actually of ben simmons i mean how weird is that to try to work in a piece as big as simmons on the fly in the playoffs and how do you see that going
4: I've said this many times. I think I've written this a couple times, too. If we as sports fans and sports media are going to talk all the time about the importance of chemistry and continuity and camaraderie and all these other wonderful C words, cohesion, then we can't just throw it out. Connectivity. There's another good C word. Steve Nash uh, uses that one a lot. If, if we're going to value all these things and talk about them and coaches and players talk about them, of course, ad nauseum, too, then we can't just pretend it doesn't matter when a team is adding a superstar or at least an all-star in Ben Simmons who hasn't played for them at all. And, look, one, he, Ben Simmons hasn't played since last June, period, and we know it didn't end on a, on a very nice note. Two, he's never played with the Nets. He's never practiced fully with the Nets. And, you know, he's not just some shooter that you bring in, like, oh, okay, he's a roll guy, we'll just throw him the ball in the corner and he'll make a shot every so often. No, Ben Simmons is – an all-star and a guy who you want to have a significant role, certainly defensively, and also as a playmaker who's going to have the ball in his hands. If chemistry and all these things matter, then we have to say that this is a team that will not have chemistry with Ben Simmons the first day they throw him out there in the middle of a playoff series. And I've, I, So I don't get too caught up in sports cliches. I have tested this out with various assistant coaches and scouts and others I've talked to in the last few weeks asking them about this, and they've said... No, you're right. Um, but by the way, they also add, you have to put him out there. Like when he's ready, you, do, you have to play him. You are obligated to play him. He can help you. You need him. But yes, there is a potential downside and an extra dose of, of volatility, of another variable, because he has not played with these guys before. They don't have a feel for each other in terms of defensive rotations. They don't have a feel for each other in terms of where guys like the ball and how to play off of each other. It, it, it will absolutely be an adjustment, and I don't think you have that much room for error, again, when you're playing a team like the Boston Celtics.
1: I like this point. A couple of more C words then to describe that, right? Combustibility, confusion. Wow you know it might not work out. We're talking to Howard Beck. Howard, so what about this? The expectation was when we were talking about the Nets, we were talking about Durant and Irving and James Harden getting ready for the playoffs with the Nets. What do you make of Harden and how he's fit into the Philadelphia lineup? You know, it's it's I'm not sure if it's about fit or if it's about fitness
4: or if it's about, you know, chemistry there, if it's about just James Harden maybe having finally lost a step or something. He's been really up and down, kind of, uh, kind of maddening. Um, but James Harden the last few years has become kind of a maddening player, right? And listen, if you're a Rockets fan, you know, there were a lot of maddening times even at his peak because postseason often did not bring out the best in him in key moments. So I, I my, my honest answer, Jim, I, I don't know what to make of the Sixers right now. And I don't know what to make of James Harden right now, but I will say and. This is not a unique opinion uh, of, across NBA media or, or within the NBA itself. There's a ton on the line right now for that team. And the, the team they're facing in the first round, the Raptors, is really good. Like They don't have a Joel Embiid. They don't have a James Harden. But they've got a bunch of guys who can all do a lot of stuff with the ball in their hands. They're all very interchangeable. They can all pass and shoot and make plays and defend across multiple positions. They're, it, it's a a unique team and a really talented team, there's no guarantee the Sixers are are getting out of the first round. And if they don't, given the investment they've made in James Harden and the investment that they have yet to make in terms of a contract extension this summer that everybody expects, there's there's a lot riding on that first round series for them.
1: No doubt. Howard Beck joining me for a few more moments. Howard, you mentioned the Lakers. So let me ask you: When you see how they handled the firing of Frank Vogel, and then how the front office and their star players handled their end of season meetings with the media, what kind of thoughts do you have?
4: Uh, just that you know the that, that's a team that has always had drama. You and I both know this. We followed the franchise closely for a lot of years. And sometimes it's good drama, sometimes it's bad drama, sometimes it's a mix of everything all at once. I mean, that, that, the bloodletting the other day, whether from the firing of Vogel to Westbrook's comments to everything else, it, 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 none of these things are, are, are a good sign, clearly. And for a team that was in the finals and winning a championship you know, just a year and a half or so ago... Um, it's really striking just how far they've fallen. It's not just what happened in the standings, and yes, of course there were some injury issues, but there are chemistry problems, there's roster construction problems, and, and salary cap problems. And I think you know th- th- there's got to be some internal drama there too, just because of some of the decisions they've made have, have failed so spectacularly. You've got to think that there's at least a little self-reflection going on about that. And then the handling of the Frank Vogel thing was, was, you know, that was, that was just a disgrace, obviously leak leaking that out before you've actually talked to him about it. Um, and that, that has, that has absolutely been noticed around the league. Like this is not just media people, you know, do it, you know, doing our usual, oh you know, they're going to, that's going to send the wrong message. No, like people are talking about this around the league. They're talking about how Frank Vogel was handled um, and, and how badly that was handled. And, you know, look, does it, play a role in whether somebody else wants to take the job. As they say, there's only 30 of these jobs, right? They pay really well. You get to coach LeBron and live in L.A. Obviously, they'll get somebody. They'll probably get somebody pretty good. So it's not that it will have an ultimate impact of denying them a good coach, but are, are a lot of good coaches taking notice of that and saying, I would think twice about it, or maybe telling their friends, think twice about it? Yeah, that, that absolutely has an impact.
1: Seems to me it absolutely would, Howard. And one more thought about the Lakers. You know, the thing that really bothers me that I find offensive is I really think that this was an unbelievably disappointing year. Like, I don't ever remember a worse year for the Lakers, yet – the Lakers seem to think that, well, it's not really that at all. We were just hurt. Or we just – I mean, LeBron himself is saying it was not a failure. He said, quote, not at all a failure because we came to work every single day and we put our hard hats on. You've watched this team for a long, long time, as you just mentioned. Can you remember a bigger disappointment than this year's Lakers? I don't think I can. Um, And I've said, like, I I, I think – the
4: Westbrook trade and I know there are other factors that went into all their failures this season but that that trade has to go down as the most catastrophic in franchise history when you consider the context the players they gave up the position to put them in uh, payroll wise which is what caused them to let Alex Caruso walk the actual effects on the court the bad chemistry the fact that you have LeBron James still playing at an MVP level but with you know the clock ticking and you wasted a season of his career with the chance to still, I mean, LeBron James can still lead a team to championships. He could lead that team to championships if he had the right supporting cast and they completely screwed it up. So yes, a a catastrophic trade, a catastrophic season for them. Um, The the recriminations should go deeper. I'll just leave it at that, but it doesn't seem like they're coming to grips with that. That was the other stunning thing. You asked Jim about what I noticed about all of the exit interviews with them, a profound lack of, Of self-reflection and self-awareness nobody took responsibility not Westbrook not LeBron not Rob Palenka for sure nor anyone else like there was the kind of perfunctory yeah you know wasn't the greatest yes we can all do better that that's not the same thing as accountability or self-reflection or telling your fan base um, what they need to hear which is that you recognize how badly it went and that there's a responsibility there and that you should fix it but but it's it's they just stuck to generalities and, and pat answers and I, I just I just thought that that in itself is alarming. You hope again
1: that they're being at least a little bit more self-aware and reflective behind closed doors. Uh, alarming is one way to put it. I would agree with you. I, I find it offensive. I'm, to me, it's a gigantic middle finger to the entire world. Like, are we are you that arrogant? Are you that out of touch? Or do you think we're that dumb? Nobody in that building is owning anything at all. So, one last thought: Where does that leave what Russell Westbrook? Like, he seemed genuinely confused that Frank Vogel did not like him. He didn't understand that at all for some reason. What do you make of where? he is in his career, and then what does his future look like before you leave us?
4: I mean, quick plug, um, uh, my buddy Kyle Goon, who writes for the LA newspaper group there, Orange County Register, and the LA Daily News and the rest of it, had a great column about Westbrook's lack of, of self-awareness on this. People should go read that. But you know where this leaves Westbrook, I mean... Again, the league pays attention, Jim, and they are all seeing those same quotes and hearing those same quotes. And if you're considering whether to absorb his $47 million contract in a, in a trade and whether you think, ah, you know what, it's only one year, we'll, we'll move some other contracts, we'll get him, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll just see how it goes, you're, you're thinking twice and three times about it because Westbrook has shown he has zero self-awareness and, and zero remorse for the way he's played. And the fact that he can't come to grips with the fact that he's not the same player he was anymore. And that if he's in a different context, meaning next to LeBron James, you have to play differently. You have to evolve. And he has never been willing to evolve. And, you know, my, my co-host on the crossover pod, Chris Mannix of SI said this yesterday on our pod. uh, And I, I, I thought on one level, it sounds so hyperbolic and it's not, is it possible that Westbrook has played his last game in the NBA? And the reason it's not, necessarily hyperbolic or some crazy hot take is you look across the league it's hard to to see a team that actually would would need him right now or want him right now unless they're just kind of in desperate straits and figure out you know what the heck might as well try something but i don't see a team out there where he fits and i certainly don't think the lakers can bring him back
1: Mm. He is the excellent senior NBA writer at Sports Illustrated, serious XM NBA analyst. The pod that he just mentioned is a great pod. He's the co-host of the Crossover NBA show with Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. He's a good friend of the program. Howard, great job. Did not mean to keep you that long. Sorry about that, but the content was so good. I couldn't let you go. Thank you very much, Howard. Great to have you on.
4: No, Roman, it's my pleasure. Go Gauchos, go Aggies.
1: Hey, listen, skincare can be really complicated, especially for men who have never had a skincare routine. This is where Tiege Hanley comes in. Tiege Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. Every single box comes with an instruction card that tells you when to use each product, how much to use, and in what order. tell you what you should start with the level one system it is the easiest way to get started and it comes with all of the basics that guys need to take care of their skin i'm telling you i love the product because i was one of those guys even as somebody who's on tv or in front of a camera i never really had that great routine and now i do and i do because of tige hanley listen Because Tiege Hanley is sponsoring today's app, they're offering you an amazing deal. Just go to Tiege.com slash Rome, and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's Tiege.com slash Rome. Tiege.com slash Rome. It is an amazing deal. Tiege.com slash Rome. Let's get right at it. You know how this game is played. Rome. My beef, we do it once a week, my beef is with Brussels sprouts and anyone who orders them that tells you how delicious they are. Fact, Brussels sprouts smell like straight ass. And when somebody crop dusts me, I don't salivate, I want to puke and then punch them in the face. Stop polluting our air freakos. Marty B, unwar valets leaving Brussels sprouts in your car. Off and running. All right. Hey, Rome, my ultimate beef is with people telling me to relax. No, you relax. Scott in San Diego. I like it. Jim, my beef is with iPads. Every time I see one in a store, I know I'm going to be tipping for something I used to never tip for. My smoothie already costs 13 bucks. Do I really need to tip another few bucks? And if I don't, am I going to get the loogie Special? In my drink. Eric in Colorado Springs. At Scripps Nakamoto, I have a beef with tipping. There needs to be a line drawn in the sand. That line is online pickup orders. Don't make me go into customized tip to $0. Now I'm guilt tripped into giving you money for microwaving my boneless wings. Clean it up. Romy, my damn wife, is my beef. As soon as she gets a little green herb in her system, she has diarrhea of the mouth. Getting ready to watch a movie and getting to the good parts, and she decides she wants to have a full-blown ass conversation. WTF, shut up and enjoy your high and let me watch the damn movie. Thanks for letting me bitch for a minute. Trev and SLC. That's what it's for, Trev. The beef segment. Anything you want. Rome, my beef is with bike guy. I get it. Your outfit provides comfort and less drag. But what I don't get is why it's necessary to parade around in that gear when you're inside an establishment. The last thing I want to see when I'm at a bar or restaurant or gas station is your vacuum-sealed junk in spandex and the chosen route of your crack sweat. Do us all a favor and throw a pair of shorts into that fanny pack. Evan in Des Moines, fire. Hey, Snagger, my beef is with men who carry and use handkerchiefs to blow their nose. There is nothing more disgusting than seeing some old dude leave his nostrils in one, sounding like an elephant, and then take this take this snot, booger-filled rat and put it back in his pocket. Patrick in Alabama. Hey, Chuck, make a note. Give that guy pay-per-view. Now we have three. Van Smack. Hey, Patrick, nicely done. Van Smack, my beef is with people who say that an ATM is an ATM machine. Hey, Bozo, it's not an automated teller machine machine. Also, stop trying to use your PIN number at the ATM. It's not a personal identification number number. Stop butchering the English language. Jim, near Beertown. Nicely done, Jim. I like it. Jim, my beef is with the losers that take 10, 15, 20 minutes at the ATM. Good Lord! What in the actual bleep are you doing? Put your card in, enter your PIN, take your money, drive away, and don't get me started on the people that insert and remove their ATM cards two to three times and wait for a paper receipt that we all know they're going to throw away. Thanks, Paul in Albany. Unapologetically rocking cargo shorts. My beef is with the reclusive old woman on our block who feeds feral cats. She's got about two dozen of these flea bags and they roam around dropping their fleas, crapping on ple- people's lawns. She says they are her quote family. Hey, whack job, get a life. Family. War the big head, mastering English as in second language. Steven Stockton. Chris Coons3 tweets, Jim, I have a beef. My beef is with my cat. This a-hole comes by me to get pet. And seconds later, bites my hand and runs away. Ungrateful little bastard. Hey, Rome, I've got a beef with the construction company that didn't properly tie down the plywood on their truck before driving on a major highway. One of those four-by-four four pieces of plywood blew off of the truck and straight into my windshield. Luckily, I was not injured. Hey, construction Kooks it's a safety check. Too much to ask for before hitting the road. Johnny in Green Bay actually sent a pic of a totally busted windshield. <laughs> That's bad. Hey, Jim, my beef is not Lotto gas station guy. It's the numbskull in front of me at the racetrack. He took five minutes to count 500 cans to place a bet the dude didn't even bet a horse at the track that we were at. War I Ray Craig trying to glue himself to the dirt track at Santa Anita. Jake in New York City. <laughs> Teriyaki 240 tweets. My beef is with Bay Area hockey fans chanting, "Let's go Sharks!" at San Jose Sharks games. Taking a one-syllable team name and making it a two-syllable name so they can all clap along with the chant makes this hashtag SJS Sharks fan cringe, like hearing fingernails on a chalkboard. Dear Jim. My beef is with Dollar Stores. They've changed their prices to more than a dollar, but they still call themselves dollar stores. Simone, Detroit. War Lady Beefers. War Lady Clones. That's how she signed it. Rome, my beef is with... Who is the GOAT, debaters, between LeBron and MJ? It is such a tired and stupid discussion to even include LeBron in the same room as MJ. It's essentially comparing Space Jam 1 to Space Jam 2. The fact that LeBron called that garbage of a season, quote, not a failure, tells you all you need to know about who truly is the greatest. No more discussing this fake debate because you wish you saw greatness. Jeff from PDX. I mean, again. Could you imagine Kobe Bryant standing up after losing 49 games and missing the play-in game and saying, oh, that's not a failure? I mean, Not it's at a all. Failure, not at all. Kobe Bryant. You know, the guy wore the same Laker uniform. Can you imagine Kobe Bryant ever saying that? Trader Brent, Romy, I have a beef with my cows. We give these stupid bitches... Only one avenue to leave the pen, the gate. But oh no, they have to try to jump over the fence like the herd of stupid idiots that they are. I don't know, bro. Maybe they know what their fate is. Maybe they're in no hurry because they know what's coming. I don't know. You're the farmer. I don't know. Hey, Jim, I have beef with Salt Guy from last week. Bench the salt. Not on the Himalayan versus C and regular salt, but that he used an ass reference twice in one beef. If the big head only gets one ass reference per segment, a clone should not get more than that. Jim and Hastings. I mean, would you look at all these beefs? They just keep coming. Hey, Jim, I have a beef with the musical lobotomy known as Yacht Rock. Studies have linked Yacht Rock with smug overconfidence narcolepsy and premature aging and that only sucks it sucks to the power of a thousand sucks Paco and Santa Rafael man you dudes are on fire today Dodger Janna brought that home one day Yacht Rock she's like yeah me and all the gals were talking about or like she didn't know what it was but she was talking about how all her friends were telling her that Yacht Rock is like fire I'm like sweetheart darling Don't bring that bull crap around here. We're not doing Yacht Rock in this house. Come on now. Yacht Rock. This says, I have a beef with a song. I love rock and roll by Joan Jett and the Black Somethings or Other. Hey, Pinky Tuscadero, if you actually love rock and roll or any music, Or any sound in nature, you would never have recorded that soulless, vapid, insipid, cardboard piece of crap. Even the song, I Wanna Know What Love Is, and John Neem's entire catalog cannot stomach that anti-rock-and-roll vomit. Dennis in San Luis Obispo, dude, I'm not even kidding, Chalk, give him one. Give him a pay-per-view incredible. This is one of the greatest beef segments ever, ever. Romy, my beef is with naked mole rats. I mean, come on. Is it a mole or is it a rat? We all know what an unattractive quality indecisiveness can be. So put on some clothes and pick a side, little man. Thanks for the time, Jim. I'm out. Chris in Colorado Springs. I hope this segment never ends. Ryan in Sacktown wants some. JR. The bras call reminded me of a huge beef. I can't stand people spitting into the bucket while wine tasting. Turtleneck Tan Man. My beef is with that clown ass that tried to say that Brussels sprouts taste nasty and smell bad. Obviously, this clown does not know how to cook them correctly. How about you learn to cook right instead of bitching about how something tastes nasty? It's nasty because your cooking sucks. Step it up, you phony. Come on, Mario. You don't mean that. This dude's taking up for Brussels sprouts. Dude, you owe me a pay-per-view. Troy, ESQ, my beef is with dudes who are checking out my package and ass when me and my bicycle buddies are in Starbucks during a ride. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Dear Jim, my beef is with Patrick in Alabama. What does he want us to do? Wipe our noses with our shirts? Like, now we're getting multiple beef reactions to beefs. I don't know, dude. Maybe use a tissue or even a napkin. Just not a snot rag that you put back in your pocket. Hey, Rome, I got beef with yutzes. Good use of the word yutz. I haven't seen that in a while. I got beef with yutzes that still use ATMs in the first place. Really? You've not heard of debit cards? Credit cards? Are you 95? Come on. Tech up, morons. Come on. Is that the cycling degenerate right there? Brad in the 360? Hi, Jim. You want to know what my beef is? My beef is that life has no guarantees. But the What's Your Beef segment guarantees a call from Bob the Knob, and it will ruin my hump day. Bella B in Calgary. All right, first of all, absolutely incredible. Incredible. We do have time for a call or two. Let's go to Neenan in the absolutely amazing state of Montana. You know I love Montana. Neenan, what's your beef?
0: My beef is with a
1: meth head that broke into my truck,
0: made a mess of my glove box just to steal nothing. At least give me something to report. Do me a favor, meth head. Next time you walk by my truck, make sure you're not on that Montana shaft sugar. Thanks.
1: My man, Neenan. No way, a meth head in Montana? Montana, don't at me. You know I love that state so much. <laughs> 1-800-636-8686. 86 let us go to Travis in Green Bay, right? Travis, what's your beef?
4: Hey, Jim, my beef is with outdoor events, especially sports, that don't have enough bathrooms. I was in the Deer District after the Bucks won last year. They were cramming three guys in a porta potty. Event planners, we drink beer, we got to pee.
1: Travis in Green Bay from the Deer District. Three dudes in a porta potty. Let's go to Mike in Tampa. Mike, what's your beef? Romy, my beef is with Matt
4: in LA, specifically when he starts his calls sounding like a child reading a map for the first time in its life and then tags it with, You're welcome. You're welcome. Matt, literally no one has ever thanked you for calling. Out.
1: (laughs) Mike in Tampa. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, I hate to do it, but I've got a guest coming up, so I'm going to walk off on that. That was one of the all-time beef segments. Hey, you know, the very best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a single day. Well, the same is true when it comes to long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It is commission-free and it makes growing your money easier, so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then. Automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them to be. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. Do this. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one to sign up and see why Money, Investopedia and Yahoo Finance are all proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance LLC member F.I.N.R.A. S.I.P.C. Adam Aller is my guest. Adam, it's great to have you on the show. How are you?
5: I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing today? Adam, I'm
1: great. It's really nice to talk to you. You have one of the all-time great, great stories, which I want to get into in a moment. But can you take me back to last night, and we'll get into what led up to that. But what were emotions, what were they like running through you when you took the bump last night against the Rays?
5: Oh, it was great, man. I mean, I wouldn't say I was extremely nervous like for the game itself. Uh, as opposed to like being just nervous in general for, I had, you know, 25 different friends and family and, uh, they're watching and agent, family, friends, all that flew in from all, all different parts of the country. Uh, so that, that added a little, little pressure to it, but it was, uh, it was awesome, man. I mean, stepping out onto the field for the first time, like for major league debut, even though, you know, it didn't go necessarily as, as I would hope, uh, you know it is what it is but it was uh it was a surreal experience getting to getting to stand on the mound on a big league field
1: Adam i think people when they start to hear this story they'll better understand what we're talking about here like if we were to go back a little bit you played your college ball at Northwestern State in Natchitoches Louisiana what were you like as a pitcher in college and what were your thoughts when it came to playing pro ball
5: um so when I went to college originally, it wasn't it wasn't necessary. Like I know a lot of people say, like they you know they go to Division One and all that stuff to to eventually get drafted and play play in the big leagues. But to be completely honest, I mean that that wasn't my intentions uh, going into college. My intentions were just trying to do my best to you know get school help help to get school paid for. And uh, it was kind of after my after my freshman year, getting you know the freshman All American and freshman of the year, that it, it kind of Clicked like okay I might actually have a chance and then you know second year did well and then third year you know All-American again, Pitcher of the Year, all that and uh, that was kind of where and it was like oh, okay like I got a shot at actually making a career out of this and uh, it was just kind of Kinda of happened. Like not out of nowhere because you know, I was good in high school and stuff, but it was it was not anything that was really on my mind at that time until it became a reality.
1: Adam always joining us. So then you're selected in the twentieth round of the major league draft by Pittsburgh in twenty sixteen. What were your first few years in the minors like?
5: Uh pretty pretty prototypical minor league lifestyle. I mean rookie year, uh you know, it's not glamorous by any means, but uh it was it was awesome getting that first you know professional debut uh in bristol tennessee and then from there it was just kind of the grind as you would say uh you know just kind of working things out you know working in the off season doing different jobs here and there giving lessons doing all that and then uh trying to keep right to to hopefully make it one day and you know luckily it you know long 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 journey but uh you know, we, we did it. So, uh, it was it was all worth it in the end.
1: Adam, all are joining us, Adam, it's amazing. I think people tend to kind of forget, like, you think about the long bus rides, but the fact of the matter is, you don't make a whole lot of money, and you said you had a number of jobs. Like, what kind of jobs did you do back then? And then, how were you able to balance those jobs and trying to stay in shape and get the work in that you had to get in for baseball?
5: Oh, man, I have I've worked a lot of different jobs. Uh, you know, I've, I've given lessons every offseason. Uh, I i think i worked at home depot one off season i valeted cars for uh, a steakhouse in in uh in texas one off season substitute taught for the high school i went to for three two or three off seasons uh last off season i i bartended waited tables um you know i've, I've done i've done all of it and uh you know it's tough like a lot of people, a lot of fans, and stuff like that don't don't understand that, you know, with the way that minor leaguers are getting paid, that that it's not all. If you're not the guy that signs for you know millions of dollars in the draft, you you got to you're making. You know, I think my first first season in Pro Bowl, I think I made like fifteen hundred a month and before taxes. So, you know, paying rent, doing all that, and then also having to work in the off season, you got to find time in there as well for. For training, throwing, eating right, and all that costs money. So you can't just sit around and train all day. you gotta, you got to work a job and then find time in between to, to go train. So I'd train at 5 in the morning some weeks, and then some weeks I'd train at 6 o'clock at night, just depending on uh, my work schedule.
1: Story's incredible. Adam Alvarez is joining us. It seems to me, too. like So finally, Pittsburgh releases you in late 2018. Had to feel like a gut punch. Your mom, Sharon, told oh, yeah. NorthJersey.com. She still remembers the phone call that day. And she was crying. Your dad was upset. Obviously, you had to have taken that pretty hard. But here's the thing. Tell me I'm wrong about this. But when I was starting off, Adam, in this business, I remember on the way up, we were all trying to live the dream and not making any money in local radio. But our peers were moving on in real life with real jobs and making real money. And it got tougher and tougher to stay in that battle for the dream. But the story goes, your mother gave you incredible advice at that time. What did she tell you?
5: Yeah, so, so when I got that call, um, it was actually kind of a relief, to be honest with you, uh, just because I wasn't making any money. I didn't have much money left. Um, even with the working in the offseason, I didn't have much left. And, uh, all my friends and family were working real jobs, making money and living life. And, uh, you know, I was still stuck doing what I was doing. So it was kind of like a weight lifted off my shoulders, but I was ready to t- retire and, uh, Told my parents I was retiring. Thought about retiring three times during that season, but my mom was like, "You know what? Like, give it one more year. Go out with a bang. Have fun. Um, end things the way you want to end things." And so uh, I did. Did Indy Bowl, and uh, I didn't go into it with the mindset of getting signed. I just went into it with, "I'm um, gonna have fun. Treat it as like you know, a victory lap per se, like college, and uh, go out having fun, like the game was meant to be." And uh, you know, obviously it ended up working out like, you know, when you're when you're playing stress free, you tend to play a lot better. And uh, it's kind of funny when I got when I got signed by the Giants out of that league. I, I actually was a little reluctant to sign because I didn't know if I wanted to to get back in that realm. And uh, I went with it. Parents talk, talked me into it and uh, went with it. And, you know, now 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 we're here.
1: Adam always joining me for a few more moments. It's amazing. Your mom said something awesome I want to add to this. This is a great great line. Quote, you have a lifetime to do what you gotta do but a very short period of time to do what you've lived your whole life to do. I mean that is some amazing advice right there. I, I think that in and of itself is awesome. What about you went to Australia. What was it like to play ball in Australia?
5: Oh was awesome. I, I, I recommend bet. it to everybody. It, it was, it was- the most fun I've had in my, my entire life playing over there, getting paid to play over there. People over there are awesome. Just very genuine people. Um, you know, it was, it it was, it was a great time. I learned a lot over there. Um, I wasn't necessarily going over there to like see how well I could throw. I was trying to go over there to, to work on things that the Mets at the time wanted me to work on. And, uh, you know, learn, learn to cut her, and then a couple other couple other things that I, I took back with me, and ended up using those into that season, which led to having a having a good season that year. So uh, I learned a lot over there, and it, it it was definitely to this day one of the best best times of my entire life.
1: Yeah, and one last thought. One of my favorite guys ever, and somebody I've talked to for a number of years. Dave Stewart was on the pregame show yesterday, and he's an absolute legend and an icon, and this is not a guy. If he says the things that he said about you yesterday, you know you've earned it. He was talking about how competitive you are. He talked about your grit, your work ethic. This is one of the all-time fiercest competitors ever. What did it mean to you to hear that or have that come back to you that he said that, and how would you sum up your journey?
5: I mean, it it means a lot, because at the end of the day, um, you know, I feel like I've I've always been kind of counted out just because, you know, I didn't go to necessarily the biggest school, even though they're good and year in and year out and they compete with some of the best teams, but uh you know, going into the draft, I was I was looked down on just because of the school I went to, even though I had frankly some of the best numbers in college baseball that year. And uh I took that into into my career and you know, after getting released, uh you know, I never really felt bad about myself. I was it was always like, you know, I'm always gonna be considered the guy that nobody knows and is always gonna be the underdog and you know, that's fine. I don't really care. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I've got I've got good stuff. You know, last night, uh I wasn't able to locate and that's just the end of it. I mean, when you can't locate as a starting pitcher, it's tough to have success. Uh but, you know, not gonna dwell on it. You learn from your mistakes and you move on. And uh Next outing will be better, and every outing after that. I mean, no I doubt. This, and uh, I've had a lot of bad outings in my career, and I've had a lot of good outings. And I'll have more bad outings and good outings in my career looking forward. If I was perfect, then this game wouldn't be very fun, now would it?
1: <laughs> it's the absolute best. I'm laughing because I've got a junior, a son, Adam, who's a junior in high school, who's a pitcher and we talk about these things now we'll be sure to share some of that with him as well he's an A's pitcher he made his MLB debut last night I told you it's an amazing story Adam Aller my guest Adam really nice to have you on appreciate you appreciate your story and journey and let's make sure that's not the last time we do that that was a lot of fun
5: absolutely thank you for having me on anytime you want I appreciate it man
1: clones what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy not bars not sugary snacks not energy drinks you want beef pure and simple
0: Bro, what is... Uh, What's up, dude? Uh, nothing, Um uh, Actually, up in wine country, bro. spring break. So, of course, you know, I had to, had to hit up the Vinos, bro. I haven't spoken to you in a little bit, man. How's your life going, so, bro? Really, Everything good? You know what?
1: Really good, really good. What wine country... Are you in Napa? Are you in Sonoma? Are you in San Ynez? Where are you? Bra, um I'm
0: actually... I'm not a big Napa guy. I am El Paso de Robles, oh, nice. bra, which is one like of my fave spots, man. It's killer it. up here. Right on. Well, uh, listen, bra, um There's been a lot of Laker talk, and uh, I'm going to, I know Rob Palenka said he's not going to point any fingers, but I'm definitely going to point a finger, I'm going to point a finger at Coach Frank Vogel and say thank you, Coach, thank you for getting the team to play defense and win us a championship, thank you for getting street clothes to play in the pivot, which helped us win a championship, but no thank you to the clown show, Brian, I know she's beloved, I love her, but this is on Jeannie Buss. She has been running this into the ground by hiring her friends. Palenka, Kobe's former agent. I love uh, Kurt Rambis when he's fighting Kevin McHale, but not when he's invi- advising people. Linda Rambis, who even knows what she does. This reminds me of when Jim Buss was getting basketball advice from his like bartender bros. Um, we're making they're making the Lakers look awful and not taking any responsibility fire Palenka, fire clutch sports fire rich paul i mean lebron thanks for the championship he's never going to be a beloved his legacy isn't in form purple and gold brah it's i mean great sure and the trade that was awful was the one for Anthony Davis. You get a 7-footer who refuses, literally said, I do not want to play the 5. I don't want to play in the paint. You know what? A six-nine point guard, I'm fine with. A 7-foot point guard, don't need it, brah. Um, it, it's just been sad. Luckily, you know, the baseball season's starting, and, and, you know, we can love our Dodgers, brah. But this has been totally awful. Um, I just wanted to let you know um, I got the order from Janet, brah. I'm bringing back some rosé from a couple spots, brah, and some really good Syrahs. So I'll have those back to you probably next week because um, uh, I'm busy this weekend coming up and then school starts again. But don't worry, brah. I got you totally taken care of. Shout out to the JTP. I know they love me, brah. Also, Alvi, don't worry, brah. I got something for you. got some sparkling, brah. All right. Take it easy, brah. see you.
1: Brah. Rock bra. him. Good looking out, Silk. Thank you very much. Head coach at Arkansas entering his third season. As Razorbacks head coach, led them to their first bowl game since 2016. Led Arkansas to its first nine-win season. Sam Pittman joins me. Sam, nice to have you back. How are you?
2: Jim, I'm doing great, man. I really appreciate
1: you having time for me on your show. Well, I appreciate you making time for me on this show, Sam. It's great to have you back. Now, you're coming off a season where you won nine games and you finished in the top 25. Just for perspective, the program won a total of eight games in the three years before you took over. So what did last season mean for the program and the expectations that you are creating there?
2: Well, the expectations from the fan base have always been pretty high here you know our expectations have as well so you know I think there'll be you know I'll certainly feel the pressure I'm I'm sure Um, but I think as long as we continue to do what we're doing I think we'll get better and better and better so uh, but it was it was a lot of fun getting to nine uh, a lot of fun you know we had we had three trophy games rivalry games and we we have all three of those trophies I think the kids accomplished a lot of things and and uh, certainly helping us in recruiting.
1: Okay, so you had the three trophy games, but on top of that, you had a fourth trophy when you beat Penn State in the Outback Bowl. Some of the players in your locker room had been through some pretty challenging years. How much did it mean to you to see them have that kind of success last year?
2: Big, big deal. I mean, it was a huge deal. I mean, just to see their faces. I I believe that's why we do it, you know, uh, just to see – uh their their work that they put in and finally paid off for them a little bit and 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 you know to a certain degree and and uh you know we made a big deal out of these trophy games and to have all three of them, which we've never had in the history of the school at the same time, and then of course uh capping it off against a really fine penn state team in the an outback bowl. It was just a really, really special year. It certainly was.
1: Sam Pittman joining us, Arkansas football coach. So you've got the four trophies, and then, Sam, you've got Larry the bowling ball. For those who do not know, what is the story behind Larry, and what does he mean?
2: Well, Larry's just a a plain, simple black ball with Larry engraved in it. And I've sent our DFO uh, down to get a bowling ball. Uh, he went to the local bowling alley. They asked him for $20, and they gave him Larry. So he brings it back, and, and he goes, hey, it's not very good looking. It's been used. I said, no, no. It's perfect. It's got the name Larry on it. So it was right before the Mississippi State game, which means if we won, we would win six games. I said, take it over after the game to have it in the locker room. And When we won, I introduced the team to Larry, and I bet I could, I could. bet we could auction off Larry for a lot of money right now around here.
1: <laughs> Sam Pittman joining us. Great story. Sam, you know, people around the program will have you – they won't have you believe. They'll say it, and it's true. The thing that Arkansas football is at its very best when the coach understands the state itself and what makes Arkansas so special. So in your mind, what is it that makes Arkansas unique and different? Because that's something you have to get.
2: Well, we don't, we don't have any other power five schools in the state. We don't have any professional sports besides, I think we have a double A baseball team here just north of town. So, uh, Arkansas is the Razorbacks. Uh, you know, we talk about NIL and all those things. Only, only people to, that to give it to is the Razorbacks, the guys on the team. So it's very special, uh, where, you know, in Ohio, I've, I've heard that Ohio State, you know, babies are born and they, born with the Ohio State footballer helmet. It's been that way in Arkansas for years, forever. And, uh, you know, there's one hog in the country, and we're very, very proud uh, to be a Razorback, and you can just feel it in the state. Unique hog call, you know, we call the hogs and things of that nature.
1: Very, very unique place. It's Sam Pittman's joining us. You know, Sam, we're talking about all the things that were so great last year and everything that's going so well right now. But still, of course, you're not going to become complacent. You're pushing your guys. Earlier in spring camp, you said, quote, we talked to him a little bit about we're not as mentally tough as what Arkansas Razorbacks should be. End of quote. What are the elements of mental toughness that an Arkansas Razorback should have?
2: Well, I think your mind's so strong. I learned that when I was playing high school football from my coach. I credit with that. But, you know, your mind's so powerful, and your mind tells you exactly, basically, your mind could have you limitless as an athlete if your mind would always tell you, hey, stay strong, be tough, um, um, play hard. You know, we, we try to base our team on loyalty and tough play and playing hard. And the mind is what starts that going. And so we talk about it all the time, uh, you know, because everybody can go really kicking butt when everything's going good. If something's going wrong, our mind has to be strong enough to correct the situation fast. And, and get it handled. And that's, those are some things that we're working on right now in spring
1: ball. And Sam, probably you could talk about this for weeks, but it's one of my favorite topics, especially at this time in my life. I'm curious. What we're talking about kind of is mind control, right? Either you control your mind or your mind is going to control you. How do you control your mind? How do you direct your mind? How do you start to kind of reprogram your mind so you're in control and it's not in control of you?
2: Well, I think the first thing is, is that – you have to have some type of success. And the success doesn't, doesn't have to be uh, life-changing. Uh, success could be taking a step, the proper step as an offensive lineman or doing well in school. You, to me, it's like losing weight. Uh, if you're going to lose 50 pounds, you're not losing in a week. You have to have some success, and it will help you towards losing weight eventually. And I think it's the same way with the mind. I think if you start building confidence with the, what you're thinking in your mind, if you can start building confidence, I think your mind can take over anything that you possibly want it to. I, I, I believe that with all my heart. I, I, when I was in high school, we ran some some track, and I thought the coach was trying to kill us. We went up. We thought that the, it was over. We went up to the wrestling room. It was hot. We stretched, and he said, hey, we're going to go back and do it again. I learned that day that as long as my mind can be powerful, that it can take my body further than what I would have ever thought. So, I credit my coach for that. But I think the mind has a lot to do with success in or out of sports.
1: No, I appreciate that response very much. That's exactly the type of thing I was looking for. And by the way, Sam, you've put this into practice. I know you're not looking to make it about yourself, but when you and I spoke last season, we talked a little bit about your journey to becoming a head coach and the stops along the way, coaching high school, community college, and then one assistant job after another. Now that you're coming off the season you just had, does it feel like the whole journey was worth it?
2: Yes, and I, to be perfectly honest with you, even if I wouldn't have been able to get the head coaching job i I felt like the whole journal, journey has been worth it because of the kids you know and the parents that I've been able to meet and still you know someone has a baby, somebody gets married, all these things i'm you know i'm I'm in touch with all the folks that hopefully I've had a little bit of something to do with the positive. Uh, feeling towards their lives but yes and then on top of that coming to Arkansas which been a dream job of mine uh, and being the head coach and then having success uh, you know I I mean this every day I live a little bit of a dream and I'm very 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 thankful that I'm able to do that
1: such a great perspective Sam Pittman joining us Sam one last thought back in February I know you were at Oaklawn Park racetrack to present a trophy to the winner of the Razorback Handicap. Listen, this is a beautiful track. We own a couple of horses. I've never run there before. I'm curious though, because I've never run there before, what was that day at the track like for you?
2: It was it was it was uh, a lot of fun. You know, I always wanted to be in the winter circle. Of course, I,
1: I, I don't have any
2: horses, but I always wanted to be in the winter circle. I got there and of course, being the head coach at Arkansas, they asked me hey, you want to go give the trophy away? And I said, well, heck, yeah, dude. That would be my way to get in the winter circle, you know. And it was so much fun. And, and the folks down there are are so nice. It's a great track, a lot of purse money. Um, and, you know, I think at the Arkansas Derby Gym, they had approximately 80,000 people down there. So uh, it's really booming down there. My wife and I have a, a home on the lake down in Hot Springs as well. But, but I'd be interested to talk offline at some point about how you're doing in your horse business. That, that, that's intriguing to me as well.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. I'd love to tell you about that. There's some years, Sam, where it's the best thing ever, and there's some years where, like anything else, it's the toughest thing ever. Since you mentioned the lake house, i got to ask you, you have a legendary new statue outside of your house uh, on the lake. How would you describe it, and what is the inspiration behind it?
2: Well, there's two hogs on it. One, one daddy and one son hog. And, uh, I, I went and bought the hog from a, uh, a place that did high school mascots, Bron hog. And it, it, it drools out of its mouth. And that was, that concept came from the Arkansas Razorback mascot it used to be the, the, the slobbering hog. And so it slobbers out of its mouth. It's got all kinds of colors on it. It's You know, got red lights and white lights and all kinds of different things. And right now it's a parade of boats. Uh, Guys go by there and taking pictures of it all the time. Got a whole lot of rocks around it. There was a marlin there. And then two days after Jamie and I bought the home, a storm came through, knocked the marlin down. And so immediately I went to Brandon White and I said, hey, here's my idea. What do you think? And he made it so much better than I ever could have dreamt.
1: And Sam, one follow-up quickly before you go. My guy, Eric Musselman, is one of my best friends in the world. Did you dial that statue up after the Razorbacks beacon Zaga?
2: I, I did. And you know what? And now that I think about it, that's a little unfair. I wasn't trying to steal Eric's, you know, or, or the basketball team or anything. I was just so darn happy that I thought, hey, this would be a pretty good time to tweet this out. And so I did. But Man, wasn't that a great win by um, Coach Mussman and the Arkansas Razorbacks, but that's exactly whenever I, I showed the red hog that night. And it's right out there on the point of my – house it's
1: pretty cool i it's really cool we just showed pictures of it on cbs sports network listen i don't want to speak for eric but i know eric i guarantee he didn't feel like you were doing that so one quick thought have you spent very much time with him like coach to coach what kind of thoughts thoughts and talks do you guys have because eric eric is one of those guys he is so fierce and so competitive and so driven i'm curious what it's like when you guys get together and chop it up a little bit
2: i think we both listen to each other's interviews, uh, trying to learn some things uh, from each other. Um, certainly his recruiting prowess is off the chart. Uh, we've hashed out NIL and some things of that nature. Uh, but we're, we're two – we're both very fierce competitors. Uh, he shows it. Uh, he's, you know, he's an open book a little bit more than myself. But, um, uh, you know, I asked him to go to A&M last year. Him and Dave Van Horn, so they could be on the sidelines with us. And he said how calm I was before the game. So I must be a pretty good actor as well. <laughs> he's <laughs> such a he's such a competitive guy, and, and uh, that's yeah. We, yes, we sit around and visit quite
1: often. I like that. One of my favorite guys ever, and he is fierce. You've got Arkansas coming off an absolutely amazing year, looking to keep it going. They fired back up against Cincinnati on September 3rd. Sam, didn't mean to keep you that long, but that was a really good conversation. Good to get caught up with you. Thank you very much, and I know we'll do it again soon.
2: Yeah, I want to tell you, when you asked me last year, it was a thrill of mine to be on your show. I feel the same way now, and I appreciate you very much. Good night now!